Well, good morning. Hey, welcome to Center Church. I am really, really glad that you're with us this morning. Uh, my name is John. I'm the campus pastor here at the Center. Glad you made it in from what is a little bit of a chilly morning, and we're together in the warmth, and it's a good feeling. I'm really glad. For those of you who have recently been in Florida, I don't hate you. I'm just not happy with you. Like, I'm really, really jealous of you. Like, um, but I'm, I'm just really grateful that we're here. There's a, there's a lot of things in life like being really cold in March or why does snow turn brown over the, the course of a winter? All these things, why do we use dirt on the road? Like all these things that when you really boil it down don't necessarily make sense to me. You have things in your life like that, you're like, I just don't know why we do it that way. I'll give you an example. Uh, pizza. Now, a pizza box is square, follow me here. A pizza box is square, but a pizza is a circle and the slices are triangles. Like, how does that make any sense? I don't know if that makes total sense to you, but I look at that, I'm like, I don't get how that works with basic just logic. Like, why do we do that that way? Uh, not having a grade E. I'm not sure why that is. Like, I, I was always in the D to F range, but I never locked into the E. Like, I never got one. I'm not totally sure why we're exempt from E grades. Or how about this one? One of the places I loathe the most is the dentist. And why is it always while his hands are in my mouth, he's asking me questions about my life? Like, dude, I can't respond. Like, you've got your gloves in my mouth and things are happening. I can't respond. I'm gonna bite your finger off if you really want me to respond. Like, there's just so many different things in life that don't necessarily make sense to me. Now, I may not be the smartest person and all those things I listed, you're like, well, here's the obvious reason. But there's also some things spiritually that don't always make sense to me. And if I was really honest, I would say a lot of times I, I look down at my Bible on my coffee table look at it in my nightstand or in my office, and I look at those things, and as I open the scriptures, sometimes the, the scriptures don't make sense to me. Sometimes there are things in this book that, that just feel like, man, this is a, a culture away from my everyday life, and, and how do I begin to understand all of these? How do I see my own story in this story that is either history or it's biographies or it's weird genealogies or it's, or it's people that live like three times as long as I know I'm going to. And I'm like, I don't get how I connect with that at all. And I'm willing to bet that most of us in this room have felt that. When it comes to scripture itself, that it just doesn't always make sense. And so we either run from it and neglect it and it collects dust and then we bring it back out on Sunday morning or we have the app on our phone, but we don't ever really open it. Uh, we've had seasons where we've really read it a lot and other seasons where we didn't read it at all. And uh, that's true for almost half of Christians in America that we just never, they don't pick up their Bible during the week. And I think a lot of it is because it just doesn't make sense. I, I don't see my own life in the story. And that causes all sorts of emotions, at least in my life. Maybe it has in yours. I mean, I get frustrated. I'm like, man, I know I need this to grow, but I just, I can't engage it. I don't know why. It's confusing. And in my own life, I have felt apathy towards the scriptures at times. Or to say, you know what, this is, it's too hard to figure out. I don't even like to read anyway. So why would I go and try to read something that's so separate from my everyday life? And, and I've struggle. And then you come to a service like this and I feel shame or I feel guilt or I wish I had figured it out during the week. And, and it just doesn't always click. It doesn't always make sense. And I want to explore the question that this series is going to help answer for us. But in the very first week, I want to ask the question, how does God's story intersect? How does it connect? How does it weave together with my story? How does this 
collection of ancient biographies and historical figures and people and places that are foreign to me? How does all of this work together to tell me something about myself, to communicate something about my own life story? And I want to look at a snapshot of a guy's life who very early in the scripture narrative in Genesis 12 gives us a picture into our story. It's one of the very first characters the Bible mentions and is later listed as a father of the Christian faith of the Jewish tradition. And so I want you to uh, turn in your Bibles, whether they make sense to you right now or not, to Genesis 12. I want you to get a phone or something to take notes with. You never know what God could say to you in these next couple minutes. And so Genesis 12, Genesis 12 Here's what we read. We overhear this conversation. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I'll show you. I'll make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they'd accumulated and the people they'd acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moreh at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. It's a promise. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there, he went on toward the hills east of Bethel, pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued toward the Negev. A lot of places you've probably never been and a lot of implications that we probably don't fully understand. Yet Genesis 12 is really a pivot point in all of the scripture narrative. See, from Genesis 1 to 12, you think about it in two sections, Genesis 1 to 12, you got Adam and Eve. You've got creation, that narrative that you have the fall where sin enters the world and really breaks everything that God had intended to be good. Genesis 1 to 12, and then there's this conversation. It's a hinge point for all the rest of Genesis. Genesis 12 through all the way to 50 are the story of God's rescue mission, his plan to redeem and restore the things that Genesis 1, 2, and 3 had been lost and broken. Genesis is an incredible book, but it's really the first in the narrative. And Abraham's story, or Abram in this case, gives us some clues into it. And so if you're taking notes, you need to write down these three promises. We're just gonna take a look at Abraham's life. Now, this guy lived to be 175, just disclaimer, and we are not gonna go through every year of his life. We're gonna break it up into three significant sections, but there are three promises in Genesis 12 God makes to Abram a covenant that they form, a spiritual contract, if you will, in which they blend their lives together. The first promise is about land. You just write down land. Promise number one, land. Promise number two, family. Land, family. Promise number three, blessing. God's blessing. Land, family, blessing. Now, the first promise I want us to unpack here for a moment. It gives us a window into the rest of Abraham's story. In Genesis 12, we first read that the Lord says to Abram, go. Leave what's familiar, leave your family, leave what's comfortable, and go to a land I'm gonna give you, the promised land. And we, uh, a couple months ago, journeyed through this series. If you were here, Voices in the Wilderness, in which we actually tracked through Jesus' moments in the wilderness and Israel being led into the promised land. 
In Genesis 12, it's the kind of echoes of that, the first fruits of that promise that God's gonna give his people Israel a land. It's gonna give them some territory. Now, a land may not be that big to you. Maybe you rent an apartment or you've got like a quarter acre and land's like, it's more of an inconvenience than it is a blessing, like if you're really, really honest. And for the people in Israel, land was everything. In an agrarian society, land was value, land was wealth, land was security, land was social status. I mean, the more land, the bigger the name. The more uh, sheep and cattle and livestock and servants you had, the better. And so Abram has promised this land, number one. That's the first promise God makes. And then you see that in verse two, three, and four, he talks about family. He says to Abram, I'll make you into a great nation, i.e. you're going to have a lot of kids, okay? That's what that means. I'll make you into a great nation. I'll bless you. I'll make your name great. You'll bless others and all peoples on earth. Well, we bless through you. Your family is going to be known throughout the earth and actually turn out to be, to be a blessing. If you want a picture into what God asks and, and how God answers us, I invite you to skip ahead. And we don't often do this, but I want to turn to Genesis 22 and just look at a couple verses right here. And so if you're taking notes and you want to read through some of these later, Genesis 22. And uh, in Genesis 22, something very, very odd takes place. Now, I don't know about your life, and I don't know about your specific journey in following Jesus, but the chances are you've never been asked to sacrifice your child. Is that right? I'm just assuming, like most parents, please nod, please nod, like, let's make sure that that's never happened. Uh, but this happens in Genesis 22. And, and we look at this and say, okay, so God promised Abram a family that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars, as the sand on the seashore, and yet God is asking in Genesis 22, Abram to sacrifice his son Isaac. Now, it seems ludicrous to us that God, who's loving and compassionate and just and, and has holiness just built into his DNA, would ever ask for such a thing. It's like it doesn't, even, that, I mean, scripture doesn't make sense. I mean, this is a prime example, a case study of, hey, I don't connect to this story at all. Now, in Genesis 22, we read about this act of child sacrifice, God is asking, but this was incredibly common in Israel. I don't know if you knew that, but in the, in the region that Abraham was in, it was incredibly common to sacrifice your children. Now, parents, you may have had a moment in which that sounded really appealing in the last week, uh, but for Abram, this was everything. This was the, the son he was promised. This was Isaac. This was the guy who's gonna fulfill this covenant promise God had made. And yet God asked for him to be offered up as a sacrifice, for Abram to surrender Isaac, his, his, his beloved son, to him as, a, as, as like a sacrificial thing on the altar. I mean, it's, it's incredible as you read through Genesis 22. And so picture the scene, right? God asked Abram to sacrifice Isaac, a thing that no sane parent would think is normal or want to do on a normal day at least. And so Abraham decides, okay, God, I, I don't know what you're doing, but I'm going to surrender the, the very promise, that family promise. I'm gonna surrender that back to you and I'm gonna take the next step. So Abraham gathers wood. He gets his teenage son Isaac. He says, hey, we're gonna climb up to this high mountain, Mount Moriah. We're gonna go up there. We're gonna build an altar and uh, God's gonna take it from there. Like he doesn't really give Isaac a lot of clues because he's a good parent, right? He's like, I don't know if I explain this, is he gonna come? And so they go up the mountain and just as, as the sacrifice is prepared, Isaac's laying on the altar. Picture this, imagine in your mind, your son, 
the one that you'd waited for, the one God had promised, he's laying on this altar and you're raising this knife to literally sacrifice him on the altar. And just as you're raising the knife, just at the right time, a, a ram, you hear it in the bushes next to you. And you're like, wait, that, that's not supposed to happen. Like I thought I was supposed to sacrifice Isaac here. And, and the ram is representing, it's showing something about God. And God interrupts this almost sacrifice and says, you don't need to do this. You don't need to follow through with this. But Abraham was willing to surrender it, to give it over. And we read in Genesis 22, it'll be on the screen so you can read along. 22 verse 16, that angel says to Abram in that moment, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this, now he's referring back to the sacrifice, and have not withheld your son, your only son, I'll surely bless you. Make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the, so in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. And you dig into that word obey, you find the word surrender underneath. Because you've surrendered to me, because you followed through on something that didn't make sense. Something that everyone else would have looked around and you said, wait, 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 you don't need to go through with that. Like you're, you're hearing things. Clearly God did not ask you to sacrifice your son who he promised back in Genesis 12 to, to be the one to carry your descendants and make your name great. That doesn't make any sense. That's not part of the story. And yet Abraham follows through step by step, obedient step after obedient step and surrenders even Isaac. And then God makes a way and God tests Abraham's faith in that moment. Here's a, a truth that if you follow Jesus for a long time, you understand this. I've, I've talked through this with many of you. You just, you get this. And Abraham's story reflects it, is that God's blessing is on the other side of your surrender. Let me say that one more time. God's blessing, his goodness, his grace and mercy overflowing in your life is on the other side of your surrender. That promise and covenant only hinges upon your obedience. And Abraham's story just reveals that again and again, that he was willing to do the things that didn't make sense. And he didn't have the 30,000 foot view of the scripture story like you and I do, but he followed God's voice and he stepped with him and he stayed with him. And actually in a, in a weird way, this story reminds me of my wife, Lindsay. Now my wife, Lindsay grew up in New Jersey and she's at a work conference today and I got her permission to share this story with you just in case you're curious how that works. And I, I cleared it with her and made sure that she's okay. But what I found fascinating is as I read through Abraham's story, even in this last week, I started to see her life in it. See, Lindsay grew up in a non really practicing Christian home and, uh, but was in the same house for the 20 plus years that she was alive. Until she went to college, she had lived in the same house, in the same neighborhood, in the same place for her entire life. And so when she went to school, it was a big deal because she didn't just go to school nearby or somewhere in New Jersey where she's from. She went to New Brunswick, Canada. Talk about doesn't make sense. Like colder, remote, far away, doesn't make sense. It's a Christian college. Her friends were not Christians. They're like, why are you going there? And she's like, I don't know. This calling on God for my life. I feel like I need to go here. And, and uh, the calling was me. And we ended up meeting the first week. And uh, I'm just kidding. No, it was definitely from God, but he helped me out for sure. Like there's no way I was going to make that happen on my own. So, uh, but the first week we met and, and we got married and uh, one of the biggest decisions we made is right after we got married and finished school, it's like, where are we going to go? 
Like we need a job. We need, we know God has called us both into full-time ministry, but not sure like where that's going to be. And it became really, really clear that that was supposed to be in Detroit. And now Detroit is nowhere near New Jersey. In case you don't know your geography very well, like they are at least 12 hours apart to get to where her family lived. And so the, the moments I remember just sitting on the bed, just wrestling back and forth with this question, like, is this really what God wants us to do? To leave behind Lindsay's family, that's not a good move as a new in-law. Like, hey, by the way, 12 hours away, it's gonna be fine. Like my in-laws were not very happy with me that first year of marriage. And we moved away and I saw Lindsay surrender that. I got to watch my newly married wife, this woman I love. I got to watch her surrender and watch God bless decision after decision. Those three and a half years in Detroit were incredible. I mean, God used her in ways I can't even describe to you. I mean, the impact on students and and adults and the ministry of the church we were at, it was incredible. I I got to see God's blessing on the other side of Lindsay's surrender. And, And three and a half years in, when we felt God releasing us from there and calling us to come here, it was like, John, you're going the wrong direction. Like, I remember my in-laws like, wow, you're gonna leave your, like, where are you going? I was like, uh, that way, like farther away, like another two and a half hours away and another step away from what was normal and comfortable for her. And yet I saw God surrender and just made it so clear that, that center and her job with never the same and the youth ministry, all that kind of stuff was just the right thing just again and again. And sure, there were some very tough moments of surrender. See, for Lindsay, one of the best moments of living in Detroit was the fact that we had a house. We got to buy a house and, and, and stepped out of apartment life. And it was really, really exciting. And we were really pumped and we redid everything. And it was beautiful. And I've talked with many of you about that whole process. And it was amazing. But six months after that, we found ourselves in a U-Haul driving here. And it seemed like, God, what are you doing? This makes absolutely no sense to me. And for Lindsay and her family, it made absolutely no sense to them. And yet, as I look back over being here two years in June, I just see in our life God's blessing again and again. Things I can't describe, his provision, his goodness, his his faithfulness to us and the friendships we developed and the family we have here at Center. I just look back and say, God, I'm so glad that I surrendered. I'm so glad that that Lindsay was willing to to keep taking steps away from what's comfortable and normal. And and this is, in essence, Abraham and Isaac. This is a step away from what's comfortable and and relatable and and leaving your land, taking a step away to fulfill God's promise, to follow him. And that's really, if you fast forward in Abraham's life, another scripture to write down is Genesis 25. Genesis 25, here's what we read about the end of Abraham's life. 25 verse seven says this, Abraham lived 175 years, okay? That's incredible on its own. He's obviously like a vegan CrossFitter or something crazy. Uh, Verse eight, some of you will get that after you get home. Then Abraham breathed his last and died at a good old age, an old man full of years, and he was gathered to his people. I wanna read that one more time and just think about that. Some of you uh, have never heard this. Abraham lived 175 years, which is cool, But it says, then Abraham breathed his last, died at a good old age, an old man and full of years. And he was gathered to his people. This is that promise of blessing coming to fullness. This is the moment which he looks back over his 175 year life and he'd only followed God for a hundred of those years and just saw, man, my life was good. 
I experienced God's blessing and he's gathered around with all of his descendants. I mean, you can read through the story of Genesis, just kids on kids on kids. And yet we read through the rest of the scripture story that his story was just marked by these three promises, land, family, and blessing again and again. But it came on the other side of his surrender. It came on the fact that Abraham was willing to obey when it didn't make sense. And for some of you, that's where you're at right now. I love that Brendan kind of challenged us on that. It's like there's moments right now in some of your lives in which you just need to obey. You just need to take the next step. You need to stop worrying about what's gonna happen if you surrender and just surrender. Say, God, I'm giving that back to you. No matter what the cost, no matter what people around me say, I'm gonna go for it. And God's blessing is always on the other side of that. And that's how, frankly, I see myself in the story. For many of you, you may now see yourself in that story and say, okay, yeah, that makes sense. But that's all it really takes is just looking at stories like this and seeing yourself. As we kind of wrap up here in a minute, I want us to reflect on three primary questions around those promises, land, which Abraham had to leave, family, which Abraham had to be willing to surrender, though God spared Isaac, and blessing. What was he pursuing? What did his life end up being remembered by? And I want to ask those three questions. They won't be on the screen. So if you want them to reflect, I'm encourage you to write these down. The first question is around that area of land. What do you need to leave behind? What do you need to leave behind? Now that could be a sin pattern in your life. That could be an addiction. That could be codependency. That could be social media. That could be financial problem. I mean, what do you need to leave behind? That's the first thing Abram's asked to do before God lays out this incredible covenant promise is leave. It's go. Get away from what's familiar. Leave the land. I'm gonna take you into a better place. Leave what's familiar. What do you need to leave behind? Number two is around that whole promise of family. And it's this, what do you need to surrender? What is the area in your life right now that's holding you back from all that God has for you? And I'll be really honest and, and go first. For me, I sat with this question this weekend and tried to wrestle through, God, what are you asking me to surrender? What's the area for me? And this may sound really, really simple, but for me, it's my phone. It's my iPhone. And this beautiful piece of technology has a way of gripping my attention far too often. And I looked at the Screen Time app, which if you have an iPhone or Android, they all have something very similar. Uh, as I looked at that, I found out I spend around an hour and a half to two hours every day just on my phone, just on my phone. And I was talking with someone earlier and figured out that since like 6 a.m. when I first took my phone off the charger, I've been on it 51 minutes. I was like, how is that even humanly possible? I was like, here, like, how does that happen? It's, it's crazy to me. And I know for me that the issue of surrender is, is when it comes to my devices and my digital life. And that's not counting my TV. That's not counting computer time. That's just on my iPhone. And I know that for me, I need to surrender that. That is Lent approaches and many people give things up or, or surrender specific areas of their life. For me, it's gonna be to limit some of that screen time to have my phone shut off a little more, to leave my phone at home a little bit more, to, to not check things when I'm bored, but just to sit and be bored for a little bit. Like just to, to really live that out for me, that's what it will take. What does it take for you? What do you need to surrender? Number three is a, a really, really simple one that many of us never do. It's this promise of blessing. And the question here is what do you need to pursue? What's the trajectory of your life right now and where should it be? What do you need 
to pursue. Now that may be a broken relationship that you need to step into and amend and reconcile. For you, it may be financial freedom and getting credit card debt and, and car payments all under control. Like maybe that's the thing for you. And maybe for you, it's simple as taking a next step in your faith walk and saying, I need to get baptized or I need to, to meet with a counselor or I need to do something that helps me move forward. I, I feel stuck right now, but what do you need to pursue? When people stand around your funeral like they did Abraham's, what should they say? What do you want them to say? What's the kind of person you want them to describe? And what's the kind of legacy you want to leave? What do you need to pursue? And friends, if you think about this realistically, for many of us, this is a life and death issue. For Abraham, he wouldn't have been remembered in the hall of faith later in Hebrews. He wouldn't have been marked as the father of the Christian story or, or the first main character in scripture without these steps of obedience and surrender. And what's at stake for many of us is just completely missing the blessing of God in our life. You'll miss it. You will live a life of independence and you may think you're good when you're really not. And no one may know it, but you know it. And your soul is gonna become tired and thirsty and exhausted because it's just not connected. It's not in step with God. But if we choose to, to recognize that this is what it takes, that God's blessing is on the other side, my surrender, I'm gonna follow through on that or wrestle through these questions, we will see the blessing. We'll, we'll be able to picture it and feel it and sense, not just on a Sunday morning for an hour that God is with us, but every single day. Picture a life like that. For some of you, that, that's never been your experience. That Monday to Saturday, that it's the exact same feeling, the exact same emotion, the exact same sense of connectedness that this hour brings, that's possible for your entire week. God's blessing is on the other side of your surrender. And really, if I had to break it down and look at this book, that's really our story. That the gospel is that God stepped in when we were the most broken. That God himself followed through on his own promise to redeem his people. And Jesus died on the cross and was raised again so that you could live a life of real and lasting and eternal blessing. That you could have that kind of possibility, that reality in front of you. And friends, this is not just Abraham's story. This isn't even just my story. This is our story. And this is us. I'd love to pray for you and invite you just to uh, bow your heads for a moment as we pray. I'm gonna invite the band to come as we reflect in this moment. But I wanna just restate those questions for you and take some time. See, for many of us, we don't have periods of our life or, or times in our week in which we can be quiet and reflect on questions like this. I wanna ask those three questions again as we prepare to respond in worship. What do you need to leave behind? What do you need to surrender? What do you need to pursue? What land do you need to leave? What thing, what pattern, what relationship, what behavior do you need to surrender? And what do you need to pursue? What kind of life does God have for you? And how do you take a step in that direction? I wanna take just 30 seconds before I pray over us for you to reflect over that as the band leads us here in a moment. Let's reflect.
Father, I thank you that in your presence there's freedom. There's joy, there's peace. There's your blessing. God, I pray today for the person who's wrestling right now, very actively, with the question, what do I need to leave behind? For some, maybe that's a job. For some, maybe that's some behaviors. For some, that may be a relationship that's destructive to them. God, I pray you just give them the courage. You give them the the willingness, like Abraham, just to, to leave it behind to go to a new place, to go where it's unfamiliar. God, I pray for the person today that knows that there's some stuff, some things in their life that they need to surrender. God, I pray that you just give them the reassurance, the hope that on the other side of that surrender is blessing. Finally, God, I pray for the person who really wants to, to make a difference, who wants to pursue something greater, who wants a life that's overflowing with blessing, but not just because you're good, but because they've been faithful to you and you reward that and you honor that in every one of our lives. And God, I pray that you'd help them to pursue it. You give them strength and courage to move forward in the way you want them to. God, thank you for this story. Thank you for the reminder that this is us. This is not just ancient people, but these are stories for us and they mean something today. We pray it all in Jesus' strong and powerful name, amen.